the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'll be looking at the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in the United States. It was nationalised in the past week after major liquidity issues emerged and customers began queuing to withdraw their deposits. This shook market confidence in the financial sector with bank stocks globally declining amid fears of contagion. At one point, Ireland's three listed banks had shed almost €3.7 billion of their value. So where does it go from here? What are the implications of its collapse for Ireland? And how will it impact on funding in the tech sector? Joining me in the studio will be Joe Brennan, markets correspondent of the Irish Times, who will talk me through the implications for markets. And by phone, tech entrepreneur and Irish Times columnist Chris Horn will explain the implications for the tech sector, where the bank was a key source of funding for early stage companies. I began by asking Joe Brennan to explain the backdrop to Silicon Valley Bank's collapse and the subsequent market reaction. Yeah, so um, it was Wednesday of last week, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, um, it had a huge level of deposits, mainly corporate deposits, deposits from, uh, it's a big funder to startups and mid-stage technology companies. And it had a large deposit uh, portfolio. It actually, for every $100 they had on deposit, they only had $43 to borrow. So it had a high level of, of deposits. And what it had done was, it had invested large amounts of those deposits in securities, in, in, U- in mainly U.S. government bond securities, but also U.S. mortgage-backed securities now, not the subprime uh, securities or the bonds we would have known in the past that led to uh, a dramatic collapse of the, of, of the banking system, system back in 2020. These are kind of high-rated bonds and, and agency kind of government-backed mortgage securities. If you compare that to, to Irish banks, Irish banks would have had uh, would have large levels of excess money or excess deposits as well, but that's been lodged with uh, the central bank, the ECB, and had been making losses up until recently. All of a sudden, when the ECB started rising interest rates, these excess deposits started making money for further banks. But Silicon Valley Bank had uh, invested a lot of its money a lot of the deposits invested it in bonds. And the problem there was at a time when interest rates were rising, the value of those bonds declined. And Silicon Valley uh, Bank, it faced, it was beginning to face kind of an uptick in terms of, of, of customers looking for their money back in recent times. And last Wednesday, they went about selling about $21 billion of those bonds to finance these maturing um, or this call for, 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 for cash. And it ended up taking a, a $1.8 billion uh, hit on that. It went about trying to raise equity to try and shore up its balance sheet. The markets balked. And given the, the nature of the, uh, the, the, the type of uh, uh, customers uh, of Silicon Valley Bank, it's a very highly networked kind of uh, group out there. So you would have venture capital companies aware of the situation, advising companies in which they've invested to pull their money. So we had a dramatic run on a bank there last week, which resulted ultimately in the, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation taking over the bank back on Friday. Now, we've had... A number of collapses of U.S. banks. I think more than 70 U.S. banks have collapsed in the last and have been allowed to fold in the last uh, decade or so following the financial crisis. Mm. 
And they rarely actually hit the headlines, but they're usually smaller banks. The big problem here was that, A, the level, the size of the bank. It was it had an asset base of about slightly over $200 billion of assets, but also its exposure to technology companies and startups and its importance in the ecosystem when it comes to kind of smaller companies that wouldn't necessarily be banked by mm. others. Mm. These also had, because it, a lot of them, because they were borrowers, would have most, if not all, of their banking with uh, Silicon Valley Bank as well. So they had huge levels of deposits. So the real concern was around, certainly around working capital and, and uh, ability to get, uh, get hold of facilities uh, that these companies would have had access to. But more importantly, it was the deposits. Uh, Joe, just explain to us that in the US, the rule is that deposits up to $250,000 are protected, but anything over that is potentially at risk. Yes. Um, so that's the guarantee scheme there is about two hundred fifty. dollars uh, More generous than in Ireland, it must be said. Yeah, two and a half times the, the Irish uh, and the average in, in, in Europe. But so anyone to get money f- from there on in would have, resu- would have had to be a result from a sell down of assets. Now, the government, the US government, moved very quickly over the weekend and decided to basically essentially guarantee the deposits, which is a highly unusual act for the US government. But just given where Silicon Valley Bank sat within the whole ecosystem, it was very important to shore up confidence, given that a number of other US regional banks were facing similar pressures, and it would have ended up with a, with a domino effect. Um, there was a slight ripple effect, wasn't there, in the US? There has been, and even since. So there have been some US regional banks which aren't regulated as highly as, say, the too-big-to-fail uh, banks that we all, US banks that we all read about every day. These smaller banks aren't regulated to the same extent. And you see, even in terms of this company, Silicon Valley Bank, it went the guts of last year without even having a chief risk officer in place. Most banks would have hedged, would have entered into contracts with 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 other parties to try and mitigate the impact of, of interest rate volatility. Silicon Valley Bank had actually let its hedges essentially run out over the course of last year. And there was no CRO to kind of put uh, the emphasis on on trying to... So I talked about the ripple effect. Signature Bank in New York, was it? uh, Signature Bank fell over over the weekend as well. Um, The problem with that company is that it was traditionally a real estate bank, but it had moved progressively in recent times into uh, providing credit and, and had deep links with the uh, cryptocurrency world. Uh, we've seen other other banks in the US as well. They came they came off last they came off over the last number of days. There was a bit of a, a bit of a rally there yesterday uh, when the markets uh, decided that maybe the, the worst was over. But then again today we're seeing that uh, banks globally are, are down again. But just in terms of that was the 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 US part. The big concern in Ireland was the UK branch. So most of, I think, Silicon Valley Bank would would have had relationships with up to 100 Irish companies, Irish startups. It would have had relationships with the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund as well. And the big concern there was the, the UK arm, which was separately regulated. And we saw over the weekend the Bank of England overseeing a sale of that the UK branch to HSBC. Probably a kind of a cleaner solution than, say, the, the US one. So that's been certainly for uh, customers of uh, SVB in Ireland, the prospect of, of losing their deposits uh, was alleviated over the weekend as a result of that deal. Chris Horn, 
I mean, you're in the technology sector all your life. Most people, probably most ordinary people, probably won't have heard of Silicon Valley Bank up until uh, last week or won't have realised the important part it has to play in the technology ecosystem, as Joe mentioned uh, a little earlier. So just explain to us a, a little bit the background and genesis of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, where it came from and how important it was to the tech sector. Uh, thanks, Kevin. It was founded in 1983, if I recall correctly, by two Bank of America uh, managers out of the San Francisco branch of, of Bank of America. And it uh, banked or provide banking services more or less exclusively to the uh, startup community in Silicon Valley, at least initially. It subsequently expanded internationally. And in doing so, it... Uh, wasn't just providing uh, banking services to startup companies, but on the other side, it was also providing banking services to venture capitalists and private equity firms. So both the investors and the invested companies was on, working on both sides of the equation there. Um, it was, but when it crashed last week, it was uh, a mid-tier bank. I think it was the 16th largest in the United States, so certainly not one of the tier ones. But... In effect, in Silicon Valley, it was a tier one bank. It was the the bank that the pretty much the entire tech sector, startup community, venture capitalists, private equity funds all used. So you might think that 16th in nationally is not particularly large, but in that particular confines of the tech sector, it was a clear winner and the largest uh, bank and the bank that everybody used. And the reason that that came about, I think, was because it, it cultivated relationships with founders, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, PE firms over a number of years in the Valley and became kind of the friendly bank that everybody used. Everybody knew it. Uh, they knew everybody. All the movers and shakers knew of Silicon Valley Bank. And indeed, the board of uh, directors uh, had uh, quite a number of people who had uh, experience in the tech sector, whether they be management consultants or venture capitalists themselves, or indeed entrepreneurs. So the, the board was heavy, perhaps, in people from the from the tech sector. Remarkably few people with uh, careers in banking on the board of directors. So it became the bank that everybody used, everybody's favourite bank for the tech sector. And as Joe has alluded to, in more recent years, it expanded internationally, both in Asia and Europe, and in particular in the United Kingdom. And of course, there are a number of Irish companies who also were using uh, Silicon Valley Bank services. Yeah, did you have any connection with it yourself, uh, Chris, during, Not directly, during your no. career? I, 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 in my own company, Iona, we never banked with Silicon Valley Bank, but I'm, I'm as a non-exec, on a couple of uh, startups where we have used some of the services of Silicon Valley Bank, but by no means exclusively, we would be using other banks as well. Um, but I myself personally have never had any direct dealings with them myself. So how big a blow is this to the technology sector, which obviously is going through a rough patch at the moment. We heard yesterday about Meta cutting more jobs and Apple cutting bonuses and so forth. It potentially was an enormous blow. I mean, potential absolute catastrophe, disaster. Um, as Joe's alluded, the HSBC were brought in over the weekend to help in the UK situation. And in America, the Biden administration have effectively waived that $250,000 limit that Joe mentioned earlier on. So now, in effect, that, that limit has gone and all deposits, even if they may be multiple millions of dollars, 
with SVB, they're all now completely guaranteed by the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So um, had that not happened, had the deposits not been secured, had they not been covered in some way, whether it be an acquisition of SVB or the government stepping in, it would have been total catastrophe, I think, for the, for the tech sector, for the startup tech sector. So what happens to the bank now? The regulator has stepped in, the deposits are guaranteed, but what happens to it going forward? Yeah, there's a new CEO just brought in, I believe, yesterday, Tim Mayopolis. He was ex-Fanny May. He was brought in after the 2008 Lehman crash and restored Fannie Mae back to credibility and profitability. He's brought in now as a new CEO there. So I guess it will gradually be rebuilt, I imagine. Hopefully they'll get the liquidity controls uh, in place and the bank will be rebuilt and I think it will be business as usual. I mean, that that's my, my working assumption. Okay. Joe, um, there was a ripple effect for... Uh, banking stocks and everybody's trying to figure out what it means for Ireland. You wrote a piece about this uh, yesterday. What does it mean for for the Irish financial system? Yeah, the the most immediate impact uh, on uh, and the biggest big, two big fears really. Uh, one is around interest rates, and the other is about the state of the what what this all means for the U.S. economy, the, the largest economy in the world. But if you look at interest rates, um, the there's a lot of speculation now that uh, central banks who had been moving uh, aggressively uh, to raise interest rates in recent times will have to kind of scale back the level of interest rates that they are uh, pushing through. We we have the ECB coming out with its meeting tomorrow. It has raised its deposit rate, which is kind of the, the, the main rate that people look at. It had raised its rate from minus 0.5% to 2.5% uh, between July and last month. For the Irish banks, with their huge levels of the deposits, those deposit books have moved from being loss-making books to being largely profitable. The ECB has its meeting tomorrow. Uh, the expectation has been up until now that the ECB will move, it's certainly mm. very clearly signalled, a 0.5 percentage point uh, move in interest rates. But where we go from here, it's less certain. And certainly in the States, there's a lot of speculation as to whether the, the, the Fed will kind of slow down uh, the, the rate of interest rate hikes there as well. When it comes to the ECB, for Irish banks, um, Irish banks benefit the most or are among the main beneficiaries in Europe from rise, rising interest rates because they have higher level uh, income. Interest income uh, accounts for a higher proportion of their overall income versus your average European bank, which would, had, uh, would have higher levels of, of commission and fee income. The investment case, and you see all the Irish banks, the, essentially that their value, the overall value of Irish banks had doubled in the space of, of, of 12 months partly down to the banks actually buying up uh, parts of the loan books of the two exiting banks, Ulster Bank and KBC, mm. but largely down to rising interest rates and the benefit that Irish banks get from that. Now we're seeing a kind of a scaling back of where interest rates, ECB interest rates will, will end up. There had been an expectation that ECB interest rates at the deposit rate, where it is 2.5%, would end up around 4 maybe slightly over 4% before the ECB starts cutting. Now that's in question. Um the other impact, uh, the other kind of read-through for, for investors in Irish banks is looking at what SVB and what happens in interest rates in the in the US and what happens with the US, the largest economy. Certainly, kind of bets have increased in recent days about a hard landing of the US economy later on next later on this year. And obviously, Ireland, with being the kind of open, uh, small open economy that we are. Uh, it is it would be undoubtedly be affected by the world's largest economy contracting. Now, I know the government have set up a, a group, haven't they? The Department of Finance have set up a group just to monitor this situation. 
they're not saying there's any cause for alarm, but we know that ISAF, the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, which is under the umbrella of the NTMA, did have a relationship with Silicon Valley Bank. I think it's 100 million. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it has. Um, so it's had a relationship with uh, certainly being kind of a, used to introduce companies to Silicon Valley Bank o- over the years and had been very supportive of Silicon Valley Bank, I think. Two years ago, three years ago, they announced that they were going to, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was going to give an additional 300 million uh, of funding by the end of 2024 to Irish firms, which is have brought overall funding provided to Irish firms over the space of a decade or so, 12 years or so, to about 500 million. We don't know how much has been lent mm. or what that means for that because obviously we've got a new owner in the shape of uh, HSBC over the, the, the UK operations, which have been the large funder there. In terms of the Irish kind of response, look at central banks all over the world are looking at what this means uh, for, uh, and it would be remiss of them not to be kind of looking and monitoring to see what the the, the impact. And we saw, look, we already have an Irish financial stability group, which is basically made up of the central bank, the Department of Finance, the NTMA. They would meet on a relatively regular basis, but certainly they've upped their kind of, uh, they've been meeting in recent days and and kind of upped their kind of engagement with each other to make sure there is no kind of fallout uh, for Ireland as a result this. Right. Now, a lot of people might be listening and thinking, oh, here we go again. 15 years ago, we had Lehman Brothers fall over and uh, essentially we were told by the financial sector, nothing to worry about here. It'll all be fine. That wasn't the case. There was a major uh, global financial crash. Is there any danger that something akin to that could happen here? Certainly, talking to analysts they and strategists, they don't see, and even senior bankers, they don't see the see this as, as a kind of discrete issue uh, around Silicon Valley Bank. But certainly, trust has eroded. Uh, and we're even seeing that kind of ripple over to Europe in, in the last 24 hours. We see Credit Suisse again, which has had its own idiosyncratic kind of issues. It's gone through a, a number of, of scandals in recent Share times. Share prices tanked, doesn't it? And it's been through a restructuring has raised a lot of capital to try and go through that restructuring. And now we're seeing the share price falling. And one of the biggest investors in that, uh, the, the, the Saudi authorities, um, one of the biggest investors in the recent capital raise have ruled out providing any additional funding to Credit Suisse if it needed. So should we be worried about Credit Suisse rather than Silicon Valley Bank? Again, Credit Suisse has been an issue for a long time uh, and it's been pretty much ring-fenced. A lot of the issues around Credit Suisse are around controls, around governance, around Credit Suisse uh, itself and uh, rather than it having kind of an impact on on, on wider Europe. But certainly... um, we're going to see, even if central bank costs are going to go down, you're going to see market costs continue to rise because there is that kind of trust uh, element which has kind of certainly eroded in recent times. I think we need to see over the next 10 days to see if there are any other US banks uh, hit by this. Uh, that'll tell a, a story in itself. The contagion effect. Um, so do you think Francesca McDonough, is regretting her move from Bank of Ireland. She quit last year uh, to join, take a senior role with Credit Suisse. Well, she, if she managed, manages to be part of a group uh, or an executive group uh, that actually turns around this uh, this company, it would be something remarkable. Uh, but whether they can at this stage, who knows? Yeah. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, 
enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Chris, in the short term at least, where do startups and early stage tech companies go for their funding now? Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, presumably the shutters are down at least for the time being in terms of new funding. Well, in terms of the bank's operations, the, the shutters are up, yeah. so it's claimed, and it's got a back to you know back to life as usual. A new CEO, the but that's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, underwriting. But I think the key message is you you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you you, you spread the risk, particularly around your treasury management of funds that you have. In twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty two, there was an inflow of a lot of cash into startups through. Fundraising, venture capital, secondaries, uh, IPOs, SPACs and so on, and they had somewhere to park that cash. They looked for somewhere to park the cash. They parked it with SVB alone pretty much exclusively. So I think the lesson is, is the kind of obvious one. You don't put all of your cash into a single basket. Joe. Yeah, and also just on the on the on the credit side, you know, the uh, SVB uh, in its annual report, it, it showed that basically it's non-performing loans. The the provisions it set against non-performing loans uh, more than tripled uh, last year to about four hundred and twenty million dollars, uh, and they were saying that. As the economy slows down, startups are, are affected uh, disproportionately. Startups to actually refinance, they typically go to venture capital funds uh, or there is an exit, there is a sale of, of the company. And with valuations we've seen with the large cap uh, technology companies, the valuation drops that have, have, have occurred on the public markets. That's also been replicated on the, the private markets for these companies as well. So the values of these companies and the ability uh, of these companies to be sold to kind of uh, settle a loan with uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank has has lessened as well in recent times. So that's okay. another area so of vulnerability. Just to be clear, the investors got burnt in Silicon Valley Bank. The shareholders, yes, yes. shareholders, shareholders, yes. and and uh, the executives were turfed out. Yes, so it's effectively state owned. Yes, okay. So what's the as a state owned entity? What's the um, level of appetite for risky lending to startups, which by their nature are, are risky ventures, right, Chris? Yes, they are. They are. I think one of the side effects, at least in the states, is going to be tighter regulation again of the mid-tier banks, and perhaps not such free and easy lending scheme. Particularly, perhaps because, in effect, the Feds have waived that two hundred and fifty k limit, as I said, and that introduces a potential moral hazard around the behaviour of the banks. <laughs> you know, at the back of the executives' minds, well, we know the Feds will always step in. If that is the case, then it's got to be much tighter regulation again to make sure that these issues don't arise again. And one of the sort of side vignettes to this whole story, we mentioned Signature Bank uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, under the uh, Obama administration, there was banking regulation introduced called Frank Dodd, which was subsequently mm. rolled back by Trump. But interestingly, uh, uh, Frank is actually one of the directors of Signature Bank, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I suppose one of the lessons, and look, I know they're, they're different cases, but w one of the things we saw with the Irish uh, banks, which ended up going into state ownership of one kind or another, was that they pulled back, uh, they, they very much pulled back from lending to the property sector. Um, and they certainly pulled back from risky lending to the property sector. Uh, Joe, you want to come in? Yeah, so look at, um, the chances are that most of the loans will end up being sold. We're seeing a number of private equity firms like Apollo, uh, KKR, and uh, and others, I think Blackstone as well, uh, circling some of those loans. So it won't be 
ultimately a state institution that will be lending. It will be private uh, private funding. Okay, so it sells those loans and is there a, a rump at the bank that can be rescued and go forward as a viable entity? Hard to know at this stage. We don't know that, yeah. Um, Chris, what's your take on the wobble we've had in the technology sector over the last uh, six months and we've seen all of the major players uh, announce uh, job cuts or hiring freezes or bonus cuts of one sort or another? Uh, I, I think it, it was kind of inevitable. Everybody knew it was coming because it was interest rate related. And because interest rate was so low a couple of years ago that that era had to come to an end. I mean, interest rates had actually been substantially low for a number of decades. And everybody was thinking, well, at some point, interest rates are going to rise. And as they rise, then the appetite for risk capital investing and the returns from risk capital are going to decrease. And so the, the tech sector is inevitably going to come under pressure. And in last year, late 2022, and this year, that's exactly what we're seeing happening. And I think the, the sentiment in the sector is this is going to be, you know, for the long haul, we're not expecting an instant recovery here. The sector is going to be under pressure for some time. So there was massive expansion now. I think now there's consolidation, retraction, uh, a refocus on, on essentials, on the credibility of uh, companies, cash flows, sustainability. And so it's, it's probably going to be a long winter, I think, is the general sentiment in the sector at this point. What about the Irish tech sector? Because we haven't seen, obviously there are job losses there um, and, and there are more to come, but we haven't seen that emerge in the unemployment figures, let's say. They're still at a, a very low level here and we haven't seen, you know, the economy still continues to um, truck along very it, nicely. So it does, but I, my own feeling is that that's probably going to happen in terms of job impacts and, and figures from the tech sector, not just the, the multinationals, but also the startup community here. I think you're going to see companies failing, increasing job losses over the next period. So I, I don't think by any means we're out of the, the hazardous situation yet. Michal Martin was saying yesterday that, you know, there are a lot of job vacancies in, in the tech sector and there are opportunities for some of these people who have... Uh, who are being laid off uh, to go into other roles. But would you expect a lot of lot of foreign nationals obviously working in the Irish tech sector, would you expect those people to leave Ireland and go elsewhere? It's possible. I think it comes down to the, 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 the skill base. Uh, if you're looking for people who have skills in, in software development, management, product management, kind, those, those skills are kind of difficult to find and people with those skills are going to be highly attractive. But if you're looking for people perhaps who are doing after-sales tech, technical support, phone support, those skills are, are not as hard to find. And, and uh, people who only have those skills rather than the deeper technology skills may find it that much harder to find new opportunities in the tech sector. Mm. A lot of people writing the demise of Meta and Facebook. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I think Meta is going to be continue to be under a lot of pressure. Uh, there was changes to the way that the digital advertising industry worked uh, last year, introduced by Apple, which had really serious consequences for Facebook's uh, revenues. Uh, Zuckerberg made a huge bet on the so-called metaverse, the idea of uh, basically virtual reality, augmented reality uh, worlds. A lot of investment has gone into that so far without a lot of return. So I think that's probably going to be reined back. So I think Meta, Facebook are going to be under some pressure for some time to, to come. 
You mentioned company failures here. Do you expect a lot of tech companies in Ireland, maybe startups, uh, early stage, to fail? Not necessarily fail, but maybe to exit early, prematurely, be taken over, uh, to stall, perhaps, rather than being retaining in the high growth uh, trajectory that become just sort of, in effect, standing still, just ticking over. Yes, there may be some failures, but I'm hoping the number of failures will be relatively low. But I think the growth in the sector will inevitably stall, uh, at least for the time being. There will obviously be exceptions, but as a general, standing back from the sector, I expect the rate of growth to, to reduce. Yeah, Joe, just uh, maybe finish uh, with you. You've had a bit of time at this stage to digest the bank results uh, that were released over the past uh, week or 10 days. The Irish banks, the three that are left standing, they look in pretty good health. Yeah, and certainly look at interest rate kind of expectations that maybe come back a, a, a bit since then, but certainly that the banks, the level of profitability we saw, uh, the increase in profitability we saw in the banks, uh, and certainly the kind of profitability targets that the banks have set themselves over the the, 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 the coming years. In fairness to the banks, their expectations are based off, you know, interest rates being around where they are at the moment. I think maybe the market got ahead of itself. The market was looking more at the uh, where rates were going and what that meant for, for Irish banks. But Certainly the kind of returns, you're talking about the Irish banks, talking about returns on uh, equity, which is basically the, the it's a huge, it's a key measure for uh, how sound a bank is. The, the amount of profit it can it can generate relative to shareholder equity in, in in the company, banks were trudging along at you know with rates of about six or seven percent, and in the case of permanent TSB about two or three percent before COVID nineteen. We've seen because of the increase in interest rates, we've seen because of uh, Ulster Bank and 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 KBC's uh, banks portfolios being carved up by the three remaining banks. We've seen their expectations now rise to somewhere between twelve and 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 fifty percent return equity that would have been unthought of uh, two or three years ago and if you consider that investors or regulators like to see a bank with a return on equity somewhere between 8 and 10% that's generally seen as kind of the the, the the benchmark for what is a kind of a healthy bank certainly the outlook is, is much better than it had been in recent years we leave it there Joe Brennan and Chris Horn. thank you for joining us Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Chris Horn and Joe Brennan for joining me on the show. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.